now for teaching section. He's telling us who Jesus is, why Jesus is enough. In fact, He is more than enough. He's sufficient. And how we should respond in light of the fact that we have, as Christians, Christ living inside us. And He uses the phrase that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, here we make a transition from that teaching section to the practical application. And so the third and fourth chapters of the book of Colossians really give us very practical insight about how Christians are supposed to live their lives. Now, I want to start reading this morning in verse number 5, and I'm going to read down through verse 17, and we're going to pause to pray, and then we're going to look at God's Word together. But Paul writes, starting in verse number 5, "...put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry." On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Oh Lord, we are so grateful this morning to open up Your Word together. And we thank You that Your Word is living and it's active. And so we trust today that even though it's going out through electronics this morning, that Your Word is still powerful and that Your Word penetrates hearts and changes lives. And so we ask this morning that You would transform our lives through the truth of Your Word and the power of Your Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So being united with Christ leads to a a new way of life where there's a radical departure from the old life and a continuing transformation in the new life where we're made more and more like Jesus over time. And in the first part of chapter 3, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, Paul just says, if you've been raised with Christ, you have a new life. You have a new life. You're transformed from the inside out because you have a personal relationship with Jesus. He goes on to say that you've died with Christ. You've died to sin and self of the old life. And you're now alive, raised up with Christ to walk a life worthy of the Lord. And so we we have said before that to be raised with Christ is to live a different kind of life. And really it is a resurrection life that the power of the resurrection life is alive in us by the Spirit, that we're hidden in Christ with God. We're living for Christ in relationship with other people. 
And so the first three, first four verses tell us that we've been raised up with Christ, so we seek things that are above, not things that are below, and we set our minds on things that are above, not things that are below, that we have a new life, and that life is hidden with Christ in God. And Paul goes on to explain what this new life, hidden with Christ in God, involves. You see what happens when a person trusts Christ, they become a new man or a new woman. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is very clear. It says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so when we're joined together with Christ, we are given new life. And we begin this process of growing over time to be more and more like Him. Or growing and maturing in our faith. You've probably heard somewhere the, the phrase adulting. It originated, it started around 2008, it became the word of the year, according to Grammar Girl in 2014, and basically it's the idea that people start to do the things that adults regularly have to do. Now this is met with excitement and celebration by some young adults, they finally get to do things like pay bills and have a job, but some still have fear and avoid it at all costs, they don't want to adult. And even some of us that have been adults for several years wake up sometimes in the morning and we think to ourselves, man, I really wish I didn't have to adult today. And basically it means to act like a mature adult. Paul is encouraging these Colossian Christians that there is some adulting for them to do in their Christian life. That they need to act like mature Christians regularly act. To live the true Christian life to embrace and celebrate what it means to be in Christ and to be willing to live a radically different kind of life, a life that shows out in the workplace where people see a noticeable difference in who you are and how you act. There's an attractiveness to the follower of Jesus who lives in the power of the Spirit and responds in love. People notice and people are drawn to it when the power of the Spirit is working in you and you're doing things to the glory of God, your life just looks different. Now, Paul describes this different life using clothing. Because this new life comes with really new clothing. Now, you may have learned from your mom or an etiquette somewhere along the way that being properly dressed is important. Now, let me tell you a story. When Deborah and I were not very married very long, I had the grand idea that we were going to go see the Nutcracker in Fort Worth. Now, this was before Bass Hall was opened up, so we went to the Will Rogers Auditorium, and, and Deborah said, well, great, you've got tickets. How do we need to dress? I was like, I've been to these kind of things before. It's casual. We can go casual. And so we left from work, and we had on T-shirt and jeans, and we get there, and we uh, arrive, and we are met by furs, pearls, coats, tie, velvet, in all the grand array, jewelry, here and there. And needless to say, I was in trouble. I think I'm out of trouble by now, but at that point, I was in trouble. You see, what you wear should fit the occasion. And Paul makes that very clear to the Colossians. There's been an occasion in your life, you've had a transformation, and your life should show that. And he says it's time to take off the old clothes of the old life and to put on new clothes that are fitting of your position in Christ. It's just like changing your shirt. 
from one color to another. There should be a visual change. And he describes this change in verses 9 and 10. He says, you've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of the Creator. So let's think about that for a second. You've put off the old self. What's he talking about? He's talking about that old sinful nature, a past tense personality that should be dead and gone. It's your old self. It's the old habits. It's the old characteristics and tendencies. It's the things that you did in the past, the things that maybe you wished you hadn't done, but you know you did. It's the way that you lived your old life. And Paul says you should take those off and throw them away like you would a dirty, worn-out garment. And in telling us what we need to put off, he tells us that there's some things that we need to put to death and there's some things that we need to put away. And he tells us that there are some specific things that Christians need to get rid of. You need to practice what you believe in principle, that you're, you're dead to sin. You can read about that in Romans chapter 6, and you've made alive to God. It's just saying bye to the old life and not looking back. The word here is very um, harsh. It says it means to exterminate or to entirely eliminate. It means to get rid of something. Take drastic measures and have no remorse about it. Imagine if you have some stinky trash in your, your pantry or if there's a dead rodent in your attic. You would take drastic measures with no remorse to entirely eliminate that from your house. And in the same way, the old self must be treated that way. See, Paul in Romans tells us that as Christians, we need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And we work through the rest of our lives to see that the earthly things in us progressively are put to death. That the way that we were, the former way that we chose to live, those things are put away. Now, he gives us five things. It's not a complete list, but they are five things um, that are very detrimental in the life. He mentions sexual immorality. He mentions impurity, passion, and lust evil desires, and covetousness or greed. All have to do with the, the wantings of the flesh that desire things that are, that are not godly. And he tells us that must be put to, flesh, put to death. You probably experience that in your own life. And you get very frustrated because you feel things and you think, I shouldn't be feeling that. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't want that. I shouldn't have a desire for that. I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a believer. But we do. And when we feel those things, we, we confess it to God. We say, God, forgive me. And we allow Him, through the power of the cross, to put it to death. And we trust in Him. Because the flesh is still there. It is being put to death. But it's still there. And He reminds us that because of these things, God's judgment or wrath is, is coming. But He also makes the point to say, remember, this is how you were. He reminds them of their past life. I know many Christians, and I even myself many times struggle with the things that I've done in the past. And I struggle with how I was. And I feel moments of, of guilt, moments of regret, moments of sorrow. 
And we have to remember that if we are a Christian and we've confessed those things to God, that we've been forgiven and those things are put away. But we also have to be careful and be on guard to know that they can still creep back in. And so we have to treat them as they are. They are to be put to death. You know, he also tells us that there are some things that we should put away or to put off. It means to cast off and to lay aside like you would dirty garments. Things that just need to go and don't need to come back. And he gives us five things, and these are mainly dealing with our attitude and our speech. Anger. Do you ever get upset or mad? Probably not you. Wrath. Those sudden outbursts of anger where you're just like, oh my gosh, that guy cut me off. And you start just honking your horn and making all kinds of noises. And you went, where did that come from? Malice. It's a little more serious. It's a desire to injure or to hurt someone. Slander. That's when we use our words to insult or damage others. Or obscene talk. It's crude speech or filthy language, foolish words, Ephesians tells us. Those are things that affect our relationship with others and they need to be put away. And then he asks these, don't lie to one another. Tell the truth. Now, people lie many times because of pride, because we want to make us ourselves appear way better than we are. Or we lie because we want to hide something. We don't want people to think we're as bad as we really are. And he says, just tell the truth. And so he tells us to put those things to death, to put them away, to get rid of them. Let me tell you another story about clothes. We were driving back from New Braunfels and we stopped in Waco at the Flying J to get gas for the truck. And I really still don't know to this day what happened, but somehow I managed to knock the nozzle out of the gas tank while it was still engaged and in an instant I had a gas bath. Um, I was covered from, from, from my shirt down to my shoes in gasoline and I, I, I very quickly became the focus of attention um, of everyone there at the Flying J, including the manager. Um, they were more concerned that I would be ignited than um, anything else and so they took great measures to give me help. And so I was ushered into the store by the manager. I was able to take um, a free shower at the truck stop and was given, courtesy of the Flying J, a new set of clothes. Still have them in my closet. I got a Baylor Bears t-shirt and a pair of flannel pajama bottoms. And so I left proudly the Flying J in my Baylor t-shirt and my flannel pajama bottoms while the gas-soaked clothes and shoes, well, they had to go. I didn't throw them away, but I put them in a bag, tied them up, and threw them in the back of the truck. That's just a picture of what we are talking about here, that we're taking off the old clothes, but we're putting on new clothes. And that's why Paul says you put on the new self, a fresh set of clothes. It's a great picture of the transformation that happens in your life. That when Christ is in you, there's a new life, there's new nature, a new perspective on things, a new identity. And we're given this new self that the Bible says doesn't decay, it doesn't grow old, it never ends, and it's being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Second Corinthians 4 tells us that it, that renewal is day by day, it's a continual process, and we're, it's by God given wisdom and insight 
over time that we're transformed more and more to be like Jesus. So Paul reminds us in the old life that external things matter. We can see that. Things like nationality, what country are you from, religion, what do you believe, um, whether you're, you know, in, in the verse it says circumcised or uncircumcised. Culture matters, whether you're a barbarian or a Scythian or you're a fine person. Or classes in society like slave or free. And he reminds us, and we could spend a lot more time on this than we probably will this morning, that new life in Christ destroys all of those barriers. Why? Because Christ is all and in all. And when Christ is all and in all, those other things don't matter. We're just human beings created in the image of God. Imperfect at best in our own, but filled with the Spirit, we are robed in His righteousness. That when the completeness of Christ is in us, He is the one who is all-sufficient. He's supreme. He's absolutely everything, one person wrote. And if you know Jesus today, you know that He's Christ in you, the hope of glory, and He is your life. And in that new life, there are certain things that we are supposed to be putting on. There are attributes of, of Christ, things that Jesus, when He walked on earth, when He lived His life, perfectly displayed them for all the world to see. Compassionate hearts. Reaching out and caring for those whose lives are hurt and broken. I love it in the Gospels when it says Jesus had compassion on them, looked on them with compassion like sheep without a shepherd. In days of struggle, in days of trial, if we're not careful, compassion can fade from our lives as we focus on self-preservation. And so remember during this season that we continue to care for those who are hurt and those who are broken. We continue to love. We continue to reach out because that's what Jesus has done for us. Kindness. A readiness to do good even when it may be undeserved. Your mom may have told you, and you've probably heard it a thousand times, if you don't have something nice to say, don't think, say anything at all. I would add to that, in any situation, you can always find something nice to say. Things may not go according to your plan. Things may not go according to your schedule. My goodness, they may have left something off your order at HEB and replaced it with something else that you didn't want. Or you may have to stand in line and wait somewhere that you really don't want to. Or you may feel inconvenienced. Kindness is important. It matters. God shows kindness to us and we ought to show it to others. Humility. Thinking of others before we think of ourselves. Jesus said it's the key to greatness in the kingdom. Oh, how in this day do we need humility that we would think of the needs of others before ourselves. Why? Because we trust that God in heaven is going to meet our needs. I've seen this lived out. It's true over and over that if you are faithful in being generous and meeting the needs of others, God will take care of your need. Meekness. Directing your giftedness and your energy for God's glory. No one has all the gifting to do everything. But everyone has a gifting to do something. And when that ability, that talent, is directed by God's energy, by God's strength, that giftedness brings God great glory and patience, self-restraint.
several families, well, families all over our community, all over the United States, all over the world, are, have suddenly been thrusted into the world of homeschooling. If you've homeschooled, you learn that things operate at a little different pace. We have a little bit more freedom in our home because we are homeschooled. But you also have the fact that your children are with you all day from morning till evening. And so you wake up as mom and teacher and you close the day as mom and teacher. Pray for our moms that are teaching. Pray for our students that are at home. Pray that God would give us patience as we endure. And then he says, wrap all of this up, put a big bow around it with love. Verse 14, above all all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's the last article that we should put on. It's like the belt that binds and holds everything together. And it's what unifies and defines Christians. See, each of these qualities that we're supposed to put on is grounded in love. God's love for us, God's love that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that He has given to us. And they come to life in personal relationships, in family, in community, in church, when we bear with one another, when we're willing to put up with faults and unpleasant traits, things that grate on us or irritate us when we're willing to forgive each other or to to grace one another because God has extended that to us. See, we learn to forgive because God forgave us first and we can patiently bear with others because we know God patiently bears with us. Now, this new life comes with new clothes, but it also comes with a new way of living. We saw some characteristics of that new life And in verses 15 and 16, it tells us what should be the controlling agent in that new life. And he mentions the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. Verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let Christ's peace make the final decision in all things. Let the peace of Christ settle every matter in your heart and in your life. Your emotions will flare up and say, fear, doubt, run, hide, pull away, respond in, in, in an unchristlike manner. And in those times when we feel pressured, when we feel stressed, we need to say to ourselves, what does the peace of Christ say to us? Peace be still. He spoke to the storm and he can speak that to our heart. When anger flares up in us, we say to ourselves, what does the peace of Christ say to us? One person wrote it this way, the calm of mind which is not ruffled by adversity, overclouded by sin, or a remorseful conscience, or disturbed by the fear and the approach of death. Calm, unruffled May the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's His peace that brings us together. First of all, it's His his peace that unites us. God made peace with us through the blood of the cross. We're united to one another in this peace. And we can find unity in the midst of diversity because of His peace. 
And peace in the middle of difficulties leads to praise. See, when you're anchored in the truth of who God is and how God acts, that even though we live in a fallen world and we're in the middle of difficult circumstances, we can keep on being thankful. Lord, let us be thankful people in these days. Because God, you have done so much for us. And that peace from Christ comes through obedience to His Word. Paul also says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of Christ, the truth of the Gospel, may also in some ways refer to the teachings that Christ gave. What's he say? And let it dwell in you richly. Make room for God's truth in your heart. May it remain in your heart. May it grow in your heart. May it deepen its roots in your heart. And may you hold it there and cherish it like the treasure that it is. That it would become so deeply implanted in us that it controls all of our thinking. That the peace of Christ and the good news, the gospel of Christ, would become the control center of our lives. Where we respond in ways that are pleasing to God because He is the one that is in control. And you may want to know, how in the world can you plant God's Word more deeply in your life? Well, Paul gives us the answer. He says that we should teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that He gives. You see, I get the the privilege of standing in front of a pulpit once a week and, and teaching from God's Word. But God intends in His body of believers, in His church among Christians, that this teaching and this counseling should go on each and every day in all the wisdom that He gives. So when you pick up your phone and you call someone, it's an opportunity to teach and counsel from the truth of God's Word to live out the truth of the Gospel. A challenge here. When you're talking about When you're talking to people on the phone, especially in this time, or maybe you're doing a a Zoom call, make it a point to talk about what Jesus is doing in your life and ask them about what Jesus is doing in their life. Because if we're not careful, we can spend way more time talking about the coronavirus than we can talk about Christ. So let's let Jesus have the lead role in our conversations. But he also says that he's given us in the church this gift of music And we're supposed to enjoy that with with gratitude. I've heard several comments from folks because, you know, about the worship. You know, that's why we're we're still here doing music from the church, is because some most of many of you have said that the, the worship that we have done on Sunday mornings has been very meaningful. It's been very comforting, and we're glad to do it. It's a gift from God. And he mentions that there's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. While there's not really certainty on what those mean. It basically, in my mind, means that God's given us a variety of music with a heart of worship that's grounded in truth. So if you're singing a song, whether it's a fast song or a slow song, whether it has a a harsh drum beat or whether it has no drum beat, whether it was written in 1540, 1740, 1940, or 2020, if it glorifies God and lifts up the name of Jesus, God has given those songs to us as a treasure, as a blessing. And we should enjoy them with thankful hearts. 
because they lift up and they remind us of what God has done for us. Let me just say something about thankfulness. It's so important to remain thankful in the midst of adversity. Thankful, first of all, to God for what He has done, but also take an opportunity to show gratitude toward others. Kind word. Thank you. Thank you. It was so good to hear from you. Thank you for going out of your way to to serve me. Just saying thank you. It's very important. There are many folks in our community that probably if they had their choice would really love to stay at home like a lot of us have the privilege of doing. But they get up each morning. They rise up early and they go to their job. And depending on the circumstance, each of them places themselves at some level of of risk. They do it because they continue to serve. They continue to fulfill their responsibilities and they need our encouragement. So get creative. And if there are ways you can think of to say, say thank you or show appreciation, take time to do it as you're out and about. And let's strengthen the hearts and encourage those essential employees in our community. Now when he comes to verse 17, he really gives us the principle that guides the new life in Christ. I'm just going to read it from the text. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now what's he really talking about? He's talking about the things that you say and the things that you do. He says the things you say, speech, and that's not just words that come out of your mouth. That can also be texting, it can be email, it can be posting on social media, the things you do, your physical actions throughout the day, it says we're supposed to do all of them in the name of the Lord Jesus. This means it should be in dependence upon Him for strength. It should be under the authority of His name. It represents His name. So when we as Christians communicate, when we communicate to one another or we communicate to the world, We really represent the Savior. And so Paul says, live like a follower of Jesus ought to live. And remember, we don't live for ourselves. We live for the Lord. And the name of Jesus can make even the most humble work fruitful. It can make things that seem small and insignificant great because you're doing it to the glory of God. It can make things that seem monotonous and tedious to seem fresh and rewarding because we do it for the glory of God. I knew a man who worked for many years as a maintenance worker and chose not to take a promotion because in his words, I can clean toilets and pray. I can take out the trash and give glory to God. He saw his position in a humble place as his calling because he could pray, he could meditate, he could praise God, he could give glory to God, and he chose not to be promoted. Why did he stay there? Because he saw what he was doing as important because he was doing it for the glory of God. So if you're struggling with what you're doing and you're wondering, does it matter? Is it important? Ask yourself, am I doing it to the glory of God? And if you're not, why not start now? 
or if there's something in your life you're doing that, that you kind of wonder, should I really be doing this? Flipping through channels, surfing on the internet, involvement with others in relationships. Maybe a good question would be to ask, can I do this to the glory of God? And as we draw things to a, a close this morning, I just want to bring your attention back to what we started at from the beginning, that to be united with Christ leads to a new life that has a new way of living. And it starts with being united with Christ, a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. And you may have heard that called salvation or, or being saved, coming to Christ or, or putting your faith in Christ. Whatever the situation, the first step is to realize that you have a need. To realize that you are lost and need to be found. To realize you're hopelessness in need of hope. To realize you're a sinner in need of forgiveness in God's grace. To realize that you are absolutely inadequate to do anything to save yourself and you have a need. But God, as He works in His gentleness and His goodness, reveals to us the person of of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and we find out that while we can do nothing, there's one who did everything for us. And that's the Lord Jesus. And so we realize we have a need, and then the next step is we turn. We turn from sin. Paul's been very specific in speaking to the Christians about putting things to death and putting away the old life. Another word for that is to repent that we realize we have a need that we can't fix on our own, that we realize that someone is able to do that in the Lord Jesus, and we turn from doing our own thing, and we turn toward Jesus. So we give up the old life, and we turn toward Jesus. It's called repentance. And that third step in turning to Jesus is just simply putting your faith in Him. You just say, God, I'm saying no to the old life. I'm saying yes to You. I'm putting my faith in you. And new life starts. And it's a radical departure from the old life. Those dirty clothes of the old life are gone and throw away. And you begin a new exciting life where you're continuing to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And you begin to put on the new clothes of a Jesus follower. So let me just give you four things that, that help us to remember what maybe would be helpful for you during this coming week. The first thing is to put on Christ. Different places in Colossians, he refers to this as Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ is in you and you are in Christ and you're united with Him and that you're hidden with Christ in God. You're clothed in His righteousness. You bear His image. And over time, you're growing to be more like Him. And you're allowing His rule and His reign into your life to bring direction and peace. The second thing is to let peace rule. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And He rules over all things. And when His peace rules in your life, you can know the settled contentment that only comes from Him. And so maybe this morning you need to let 
the one who calms the storm, speak peace into your life. It's the peace that passes all understanding. And the Bible's clear it's able to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Third, we need to dwell in His Word. Many of you would say, I know the Bible pretty well. I've read through it pretty time, pretty you know, several times, and I think I have a pretty good hold on what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. But to have to dwell in His Word means that the truth of God's Word has a hold on you. It has a controlling grip in your actions and your activities. Gypsy Smith, a revivalist from England, wrote these words. What makes the difference is not how many times you have been through the Bible, but how many times and how thoroughly the Bible has been through you. May the Word of Christ dwell in you. And last, represent Jesus in what you do and say. Remember, we've said this from the beginning as we worked through Colossians. It's Christ in you, lived out through you. It's not about doing a bunch of more, bunch more stuff for Jesus. It's about abiding in Him, spending more time with Him. And what flows out of that sweet, intimate fellowship encourages us. It strengthens us. It allows us to bless others. And it helps us to give Glory to God. I hope this morning that you were encouraged from God's Word. I know it's very different than probably most of you have ever experienced church. But I hope that the truth of God's Word will settle in your hearts, that His Word will dwell in you richly during these days. Pray that God would encourage you and strengthen you in your inner man. And you would learn the truth of what it means to abide in Christ, to rest in His presence, and to let Him work through you. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the truth of Your Word. We're thankful for the presence of Your Holy Spirit. We're thankful that while we gather together, hearts linked, hearts united, that Your Spirit is with us and moves among us. And we ask You, Lord, to search and to know our hearts. Lord, in these days we have a lot of time at home. Or we have a lot of time at work. And we have a lot of time to be distanced from things that we normally do. And Lord, like many people who spent time to maybe clean out a flower bed, clean out a closet, or to clean out a pantry, help us to use this time to reflect and to see what needs to go out of our lives. What do we need to clean up? What do we need to clean out? That the weeds will be pulled up, the weeds of sin from our, the flower beds of our hearts and will be cast away. That the out-of-date items from the old nature would be taken out of the pantry of our lives and thrown in the trash. And the old clothes we cleaned out of the closets of our hearts so that we could dress ourselves in the newness of the person of Jesus. We thank you 
We trust You and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing, and we are going to sing to close, I just want to encourage you. Um,